Okay, hello everybody, and welcome to Protect Tonight Kyoto's podcast number six. Uh, we are your hosts. My name is Eric Luwam. I'm Sagar Patel. So, Sagar, we are in a very different place as than normal. We are way south in Kyoto. Yeah, yeah, way south from most things. You say you don't really come to this area. No, no, I really don't. This is, I guess, this place is around Jujo, which is uh, south of Kyoto Station. Mm-hmm. Famous uh, for, I guess, the, I guess the local Korean community in Kyoto. Yeah, um, the tourists that do come here for usually come to check out the Nintendo offices. That's right, Nintendo. We pass by Nintendo. That's Nintendo. The way it's here. actually, a, yeah, it's right. The hospital. And Otabe is nearby too. Oh, the 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 Yatsachi. Yes. Yatsachi. The, the factory. factory. Yeah. Yeah, the famous. Right oh, yeah. Kidding. Yeah. Okay, well, that voice you just heard was our, our guest today, yeah. and uh, <laughs> very happy. To be here in, in their tasting studios, uh, let's welcome Paul Speed. Welcome, Paul. Well, thank you very much. Okay, so just uh, for our listeners, we are in um, Kyoto Brewing Company's tasting room. And Paul is one of the three, I guess, what you call founders, founders of yeah. the company. Okay, so Paul, maybe just tell us quickly about where we are and what you do here. Um, basically, we're at the brewery right now. We're inside the tasting room. Uh, it's open Saturdays, Sundays from 1 to 6 p.m. Um, right now, whenever we go to events, because there's only three of us uh, right now on the ground, uh, unfortunately, this place is closed. But as we hire more people, we hope to be open uh, every day. Uh, but let's see. Um, basically, we started uh, May of last year, mm-hmm. um, and we're just trying to produce really good quality uh, craft beer. We ship beer right now from Hokkaido down to Kagoshima. We have around 250 accounts, mm. but uh, 30% of the beer we make is consumed in-house uh, here in Kyoto. Mm. And uh, yeah, we... Uh, what else to say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty amazing uh, place. We usually we do the podcast in really noisy uh, bars and restaurants, so um, it's nice to do it in a quiet place. and. It's actually an all, first all Canadian podcast. Oh yeah, this is great. <laughs> okay. Yeah, podcast. So hockey's going to come up at some point during this podcast. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, But just for background information, so Paul spoke at uh, Kyoto Volume Eighteen, I believe it was, and obviously Paul spoke about uh, starting the, the company. Um, so it's a it's a it's a craft beer company. Yep. Um, and it's cool, man, because like. You know, the, the expat community, like, you usually know someone in, in a certain field, right? Like, you know someone, uh, I don't know, who's, who's who does Aikido, you know, someone who does, like, tea ceremony, but, but it's very rare to meet someone that, that has their own beer company. Yeah. Yeah, yeah very rare. Um, <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I guess, Paul, I mean, like, uh, you, you talked about this, you talked about this privately before, but why, yeah. like, why did you choose Kyoto as a place to start a beer company? Uh, so from a business perspective, we were kind of like looking at the landscape and we said that there was kind of this just gap uh, breweries in Western Japan. And so that was one reason. And then the other reason was um, myself personally, I was living in Tokyo for eight years doing the kind of salaryman grind in finance. And um, I was kind of getting sick of the cement jungle and wanted to move out to, uh, to Kyoto to start up the enterprise with the my good friend Chris, yeah. uh, we met in Aomori, and he's the beer maker, yeah. kind of quote unquote the beer seller. Yeah. Uh, and then our other co founder will hopefully be joining us pretty soon as well. He's still doing the grind right now in Tokyo. That's uh, Ben. That's Ben, yeah. exactly. Mm. So, yeah, um, 
so there was that personal desire as well. And then at the same time, Kyoto, I mean, whenever uh, people think of Kyoto, they think of temples or they might think of geisha, but at the same time, Kyoto, it really stands for craftsmanship. Yes, yes. And uh, there's a lot of people here that are devoted to their craft, and uh, we kind of felt that that was the perfect place to establish ourselves. Yeah, so okay. and, and there's, besides beer, there's other, there's like, like you know, Yamazaki whiskey brewery nearby. Yes, right? so yes. There's that tradition of brewing sake, sake. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then Yihonshu as well, Fushimi, yeah. which is uh, about a stone's throw away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's yeah, That's straight that way. That way, that way. Actually, last time, with the last podcast, we were at Men. Yes. And uh, we, were, we were drinking your brew. So Paul, it seems like there's a big uh, craft beer boom not only in, in 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 Kyoto but also all over Japan and perhaps the world. Yeah. Why 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 do you think that is? Uh, so in Japan right now, uh, there was a boom originally before when uh, they liberalized the market back in '94. Um, they said that you didn't need to make uh, two million liters of beer, ah. uh, and you could get away with making uh, either six thousand liters if you had a hot shoe license, right. which means you could make beer if it had a non-traditional ingredient. Yeah. Like coriander or something. Oh wow! Or sixty thousand liters if you wanted to make beer, and so a lot of people saw uh, easy mark, uh, easy money, or they thought they did. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it went from seven breweries to three hundred and fifty-ish breweries wow. in three years. Wow! And then there was a huge follow because. Um, it was, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Because yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they just flooded the market with shit. Uh, and then since that three hundred fifty, it's kind of calmed down back to around two hundred-ish. Um, but essentially, a lot of those breweries are still kind of like regional beer, uh, breweries, and they basically make uh, jibiru. Mm-hmm. So the idea is um, kind of machokoshi, which means like uh, yeah. to kind of revive the town. Yeah. And so people, they didn't really know how to make beer, but they wanted to do something that would stimulate you know, the economy of their town, and they thought a brewery was a good way. I don't know why. <laughs> so um, basically, they have a lot of omiyage a lot of souvenir-like beers that they make here in Japan. Ah, I see. Um, at the same time, though, um, sometimes they say that a lot of the trends from the United States come to Japan, but they take about 10 years right, right. to make it over <laughs> And, you know, basically the boom uh, in the U.S. Um, started about you know, 10, 15 years ago, and yeah. finally that's making its way to Japan. Yeah. And the idea is that you had this kind of fizzy yellow craft uh, that a lot of the big guys were making mm-hmm. and just peddling to people. And people said, you know what, I want something that actually has a little bit more flavor. Mm. Something that actually, you know, when I drink it, it actually tastes good. Mm. Um, and when they're marketing it, you know, it's not that they're not drinking it because, you know, scantily clad women are kind of marketing it. And that's the way to drink it. Yeah. Which is important. Yeah. Which is kind of important. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, you know, just like there's this hipster movement and they said, well, I don't want to kind of deal with the, the, this convention of, of beer. Um, you know, people said, well, we're going to make uh, something different. Uh, that finally kind of came over to Japan, um, and for some reason it took as long as it did. It should have happened much sooner, actually. Interesting, because Japanese cuisine mm. is so known throughout the world. Right. Yeah. Sushi and everything, and it's about these guys that you know, before they can even touch rice, they have to wash sushi dishes for two years. Yeah. Yeah. Dishes. So it's like, okay, they make such good food. Why does it stop there, and everything related to the drink just yeah. falters? Yeah. So they kind of peddle this fizzy yellow stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's a good question because when I first came to Japan, I mean, someone who likes wine, like I, I was always shocked like when they had like chilled wine glasses, yes. red wine and chilled red wine. So yeah, there is something about uh, a misunderstanding yeah. in a way with drinks. Yeah, uh, yeah you're right. 
And so you'll have like amazing Michelin star restaurants in yeah. Tokyo, the most out of anywhere in the world. Yeah. But then for some reason they'll choose like the Budweiser equivalent right. of the drink. Yes. And when you're trying to think yes. of the entire experience, yeah. why does you know why do they falter? On this yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, but anyway. I mean, it's actually like you make a distinction between Jibiru and and, and craft beer because a lot of people use those terms like like yes, yes. exactly. exactly. Um, yeah. So what you're saying is like Jibiru is more like a local thing, and sometimes it might not be as good quality, but it's more about promoting the region, or the area. Is that, is that it? Well, uh, craft beer in the United States as well always involves the community, and you know, um, you should be selling most of your beer unless you become like a huge distributor. You should be selling most of your beer within the community. That's true. But for better or worse, in Japan, the idea was to turn around the economy of a place by instead of just making different snacks that are food, they could do it with beer. And so they had a lot of people that had no idea how to make beer. And so they would either A, hire uh, some kind of German person to come over here and teach them how to make beer. (laughs) Um, Or B, they would just start making beer and thought that anyone could make it. So, you know, if you go to a lot of these breweries, probably 80% of them, 90% of them will have a Pilsner, a Kelch, and an Alt. Um, and it's always German beer. And usually that's a telltale sign that the experience you're going to have when you drink their beer might not be best. Right. Because it's like very stereotypical. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, because, uh, I mean, not to harp on Sapporo, Asaki, Keating, those guys. I mean, yeah. what they do is they do it very well. So a, a Budweiser compared to an Asahi, yes. the Asahi is much better. Yeah. The Keating yeah. is much better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that being said, though, why would you want to have a Jibiru that yeah. costs like 800 yen? Exactly. Or you could have a Keating, which is yes. freaking good for what it is, yeah. for 350 yen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So as you say, like, people buy it more as like a souvenir. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But... Uh, out of that, um, there are some companies that aren't relying on government assistance or um, political assistance. And so uh, these places that had to survive um, basically as a, as a business, they found out, um, for better or worse, that they had to make something different than just an alt, um, a pilsner and a kelch. They had to make pale ales. They had to make stouts. They had to make something that was actually good that the consumers wanted to drink. So now, you know, there are some places like Shiga Kogen, mm. Mino, um, that are coming out with really good yeah. craft beer. Also, I think uh, timing-wise, I mean, in the last five years, there's like kind of this movement to like premium stuff in mm-hmm. Japan. Like, yes. Whether anything like premium fried chicken to like <laughs> premium <laughs> yeah, coffee. That's, that's recent, right? And I think the timing is like people are getting into like premium stuff. And it makes sense, like premium beer. Yes. I and mean, like Suntory came out with premium malts. Yes. That's a pretty recent, no? And I think that that's, that's a good lead up to, to, to craft beer in a way, right? Yeah. That people are used to like, or they're used to paying more, a little bit more for something better. Yeah. Well, I mean, in Kyoto now as well, Kyoto is known as, as a coffee town. Yeah. And uh, there's this third wave coffee that people are talking about. And there's all these little small, like very, very intimate roasters that are now roasting one kilogram at a time for people to have the ultimate coffee experience. But again, that stuff was happening in the States years ago. Right. And so, yeah, it takes a while for those kinds of movements to trip over here to Japan. It'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward in Japan with these premium brands, like you said. Yeah. Well, it's, I wonder what's next. Yeah. Premium. Well, the States, they got like kombucha. 
So maybe uh, that'll come out here. What's kombucha? It's like a kind of sour, yeah. sour tea drink. Yeah. It's made from like kelp. Yeah, yeah. It's very healthy. You made it here. Okay. Um, but in those cases, it's almost like a reverse, let's say like a reverse import. You know, like Japanese Union, like for example, even with like blue bottle yeah. in the States, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it started in Japan, yes, this whole yes. filter drip, and yeah. hand drip. And it goes to the States and it comes back yeah. in a different, more, in a more hip way. Well, I mean, now there's like this mommy thing that's going on. Yeah, out, yeah, right? that's been going on for, yeah. So yeah. people in, like outside of Japan, they didn't really know about mommy. And uh, thank, thankfully, MSG, Nomoto, has been doing it for a very long time. But uh, yeah, uh, it's now kind of coming back into Japan as well that uh, people are trying to make like umami beers or they're trying to make umami burgers or they're trying to right. add more different umami stuff to their. Uh, Michelin star restaurants, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, this like you said, it's that weird kind of like it goes overseas, yeah. becomes popular, and then yeah. it gets reintegrated because overseas accepts it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like this weird embrace of like manga. Right. Because it's now cool out overseas. Yeah. And so now the politicians are like picking it up again, and this is like Japan cool. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> whereas, whereas in the beginning it was like a subculture and it was kind of embarrassing. Yeah. And the fact that it's really big in Europe and yeah, France. Yeah, France. Yeah, France. So I grew up on French translations of manga. And yeah, all yeah, 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 yeah. Dragon Ball specifically. Yeah. So I mean, the cigar is a good example. I mean, he, he doesn't drink a lot of beer. Yes. He, he drinks a lot of Nippon shoe. Yes. Okay. So, like the last time we were having. Uh, KBC beer. What, yeah. What did you think? Uh, it was good. It was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that's the thing. Like I, back home, I couldn't um, do anything. Like just the Budweiser just sells stuff. I can't. I, it just makes me gag. Like, yeah. Right. But um, yeah, the craft beer stuff is definitely much better. Um, on a personal taste note, I just find it easier to drink uh, the darker ones, um, just because they're kind of heavier. Yes. But on the light side of things, yeah, craft beers are, are definitely the way to go for me. Yeah. So that's the interesting thing in Japan as well right now. Like, uh, there's a huge demographic skew for women consuming craft beer. Oh, they just like the light, fizzy yellow, like you said. You kind mm-hmm. of like the darker, yeah, um, kind of heavier, different flavor to mm-hmm. what traditionally is viewed as beer. Yeah. And so they say that over 50 percent of, of uh, craft beer drinkers are actually women in this country. So what, what's been the local uh, <clears throat> reaction to you guys? What, what's been the response like? Uh, the, yeah, the community has been very supportive. Um, we now have dedicated taps in nine places. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, uh, we hope to um, be getting into even more places, I guess, in Kyoto. Um, just uh, the interesting thing about Kyoto is, I mean, you can live here your entire life and you scratch the surface of life. We're trying to get into, like, the super deep Kyoto plan. Will we ever be accepted by those people? I don't know time will only tell, but uh, the reaction so far has been great. Yeah. yeah. What kind of places do you guys have taps in? So, um, like craft beer bars right now, heavily. But Kyoto as well is uh, really known for its food. And so, right now we are in all of the craft beer bars in Kyoto. But we now like to make inroads into the different restaurants. Yeah. And so, we have uh, one restaurant that we're already in right now. Yeah. And it's kind of close to the philosopher's path. Oh. Wait, I what is it called? It's called Monk. It just ah. up, uh, last last month. Yes, oh, yes, yes. All right. Yes. So that's one place, uh, and, and we have a few other places where um, we've gotten kind of requests from them to take our beer. Nice. But uh, once they kind of hear the hurdle to be able to um, 
basically serve prime beer, and they said, okay, we'll wait until the bottles, because it is kind of a different hurdle to regular beer. What's, okay, what's, what's different about serving craft beer? So, for example, you cannot have the keg out <clears throat> room temperature, uh, because we don't pasteurize any of the beer. I see, uh, I see. So you have to keep it refrigerated at all times. I see. Whereas, yeah, with the regular beer, you can leave it out. And, um, you shouldn't, but some people, they don't care. It'll be 40 degrees inside, <laughs> and they'll still have it like that. But, um, yeah, regular beer can be refrigerated. I see, and also last week at the, the event, Sunday, I was asking Chris like, the difference in pouring the beer or serving yes. the beer. Yes. And he was saying how, you know, with normal beer, they actually intentionally put foam in it. Yes. Whereas craft beer, you don't. Is that, is that right? That's correct. Well, that's more so in Japan than it is overseas. That's like right. In the UK, for example, even if you get big boy beer, they will always have zero foam on top. But here in Japan, they really do like the foam. Mm. Um, and the thing is, when you have big boy beer and you want to get big boy beer into your restaurant, they will pay to have the server installed for you. They will have maintenance guys make sure that your beer lines are always clean. Yeah. You only have to press the lever, the 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 the, the, yeah. Yeah, the, the lever, lever basically yeah. so that it pours properly. Whereas for craft beer, everything you have to do on your own. Yeah. So big boy beer, you mean like big big Asahi, Kiri, and all those guys? Hmm. Um, they will not only give you the machine, but they might even offer you a kickback. Thank you very much for installing our stuff. Oh, I see. Here's the money. I see. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wow. So those are some of the things, obviously, we cannot compete on, or anyone in craft beer right now can compete on. So you're mentioning bottling, so people are waiting for you to go. Yes. What's that going to be like? Are you been trying to plan for that? or? Um, so originally we wanted to bottle in summer, uh, and then we said fall, winter, um, and we we're just pushing it off, and now the latest is uh, we're going to push it off to uh, winter of 2016. Yeah, so this, this is coming winter. Yeah, we don't want to just like walk into bottling. Yeah, yeah. The uh, requirements, the so we're kind of known for, or, or we want to be known for always uh, not compromising on the quality of our beer, and we don't want to just walk into it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, the demand for our beer on keg alone yeah. has been more than right. more than we imagined, and so we're gonna just keep focusing on that. Yeah. Make as many different beers as we can. Yeah. Um, Make sure that the beer that we are making now that we serve about 365 days is the best it can be. And then, once we're ready, we will do bottling properly. Yeah. We won't just turn the machine on and go, okay, let's start bottling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, and you, I know you, you take great pride in the ingredients you use, so can you tell us a bit about that? What do you source your ingredients? Um, so, yeah, similar to a lot of the other breweries here, we source our ingredients from uh, Europe, from the United States, uh, New Zealand, Australia, etc. But uh, right now we're also working with this one um, hop farm that's trying to get off the ground in northern Kyoto. Um, right now a lot of the hop farms in Japan, they're tied to uh, you know, Kirin, Asahis, and so when they make their uh, hops, they basically immediately just go to the big boy brewer. Right. They can't give it to the little guys. Yeah. But this is the first place, I believe, that uh, said, we're not going to be contracted to any of the big guys in any of the hops that we sell. We're going to try and give equal access to Interesting. Uh, the small guys, too. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll see what's going to happen with them. But right now, um, so in 2015, we collaborated with them. We made a beer. Um, and we hope to do the same thing again in 2016. And they're located where? They're located in Yosano. Yes. So basically, it's very close to Nihonkai, uh, oh, okay. the Japan Sea. Okay, okay. Wow. Okay. Interesting. 
quite makes sense. I mean, in, in, in the in the food culture, I mean, there's a big like farm to table movement. Yes, restaurants will actually approach farmers to to even like breed. I'm not sure if that's the word breed or like, come up with an like, like original vegetable. Yeah, food. vegetable. Yeah, yeah. And so, like working directly with uh, food producers is interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that's something more that we hope we can do. So not only just the hops, but it would be nice if we could source, um, you know, the uh, malted barley, for example, or wheat or whatever from uh, Japan as well. Um, there is uh, people that are they are making. Uh, the wheat or the barley, it's just that they, they don't have a malster here in Japan right now that isn't already in bed with one of the big boys. Oh, right. So that's the next step. Yeah. So really, you're, you're, you're trying to change, well not change, but you're trying to, uh, there, there is like a whole structure in place yeah. that, that gives advantage to the big boys. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and you're, you're trying to sort of set up an ind- independent system. I mean, right now there's 200 craft breweries, or just a little bit over 200 craft breweries in Japan, or GB breweries, but they represent less than 1% of the entire market right now. Right. And also at the same time, you have the Japanese demographics, uh, it's, they're getting older year by year, and so they're consuming less beer year by yeah. year. Right. Um, yeah. You have this weird kind of third category beer where uh, they're not using traditional ingredients to make the beer, um, they're using different products to try and skirt Taxation. This is hapo shoe. Well, so hapo shoe is kind of weird because if you use 100% grain, but you use something like um, peppercorn or you use something like coriander to make like a, a Belgian beer, that's still hapo shoe. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you use something and it's only using 50% uh, grain, it's um, still labeled hapo shoe. They just get taxed at different rates. Mm-hmm. So you know, the Japanese kind of bureaucratic system being what it is with this kind of gray area. Um, the people that are trying to peddle not 100% uh, beer, uh, like, should I say this, not 100% uh, grain beer yeah. versus 100% grain beer, it still all fits in the same category. Yeah. So the perception that the customer has about Papo Shiro, yeah. unfortunately, is negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I mean, I think a lot of foreigners come to Japan, they go to the convenience store and like, they look at all the drinks and they see all this cheap beer, yeah. which is Papo Shiro. Yes. And so, the difference, what, hapushu you can get for about 150 yen, maybe? Uh, depending on, yeah, the, yeah. the kind of hapushu that it is. Yeah. But so, for example, McKellar, um, who has all these different bars, um, originally based in Denmark, they make certain beers that do not use traditional ingredients. Okay. So, but they are 100% grain, so it is true beer. Which is true beer. But you'll get a bottle of theirs, and it would be like 1,200 yen, for example. Whoa! So, so people might look at that and go, but it's hapushu. Uh, Why would I pay that much for this? So not all hapushu is cheap. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, all our stuff right now, we also have a hapushu that's just for our beer. Right. But it's still beer. Yeah. But from the tax office perspective, we make hapushu. All <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, right, okay. Yeah. I mean, those are, you know, yeah. like strategies. Uh, not so much strategies. Um, we said we wanted to have a beer license, and they told us, uh, sorry. Really? Yeah. Wow. Wait, you just got denied? Like, they said, uh, let's see what happens. First, uh, you know, go ahead and make your humble shoe, and you guys maybe make enough later on. Really? We'll switch you over. But, oh, uh, we, we surmise that they're very protective of their sake industry uh, here in, yeah. in Kyoto as well. Yeah. And so if we get bigger, we're not growing the pie, we're taking someone else's pie. Yeah. They see the pie is finite. 
Right, right, right. So they don't want us coming in and kind of mucking about with that. Wow. Perhaps. We don't know. Yes. Wow, so very protectionist. Hmm. Conservative in the... Yeah. But yeah, for the Hapa, she licensed 6,000 liters in one year. Um, we brewed in our first week uh, like 7,200 liters. Oh. So we just like blew past that. And uh, probably 12, 12 months of production will we'll, we'll blow past uh, the requirement for 60,000 liters. But yeah, the tax office still will see what happens. Interesting. Interesting to see the business behind these. The bureaucracy. Yeah, the yeah. bureaucracy behind it. I mean, just look at the beer. But yeah. So actually put that out in the market. I imagine it takes a lot of time. I mean, for example, when I was giving a speech over at Urban Guild, mm-hmm. uh, and you were saying, oh, it would be nice if we could have KBC beer there. Yeah. Well, they said they, they can't. They, yeah. they only want Heineken. Right. Because there are certain things in that area of Kyoto yeah. where they, they are the only loyal Heineken? to Heineken. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's an interesting story with that. Wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, getting back to your presentation. So you... <laughs> um, I mean, it was a big year for you last year, Paul. You got married, right? Yes. Congratulations. Yeah. So, start a company, get married, do everything at the same time. Is that intentional? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was not intentional. Uh, Chris also recently got married, too. Oh, really? Oh, right. Not recently, but uh, two years or one and a half years ago. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You guys like to be busy. That's the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. and, and I, I remember, I mean, you did a, like a very natural and, and yeah really good presentation. It was really good. I remember um, do you have any advice for like future presenters who are interested in talking? Um, I'm not sure how much you remember from <laughs> <laughs> No, um, yeah, I, I mean, uh, basically the Pichakcha format is a little strange. It's not strange, that's not the right word. It's a little unique. Um, and just make sure that uh, you practice, practice, practice. And that you're not just kind of stringing your slides together and you actually have like a, a story that you're ready to tell. Right, people. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was trying to tell people that, yeah, this is what we've done. This is how we've started the company. But the, the overall message was that, you know, like you said, there are a bunch of foreigners. And mm. You might have a foreigner doing Aikido or you might have a foreigner doing this. Yeah. But uh, the message was like, there are a bunch of people here that live in Kyoto yeah. who might not actually be born in Japan. They might not be born in Kyoto. Yeah. They all want to kind of contribute to the city. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that was kind of the story that I was trying to tell, and uh, just through the different slides. That was the message, yeah. No, it's fascinating. I mean, you guys from three different countries, um, and you know, I think only one of you lived in Kyoto. The last That's correct. Chris, yeah, Chris, Chris has been living yeah. here for eight years now. But you chose to use Kyoto as your base. Definitely. Um, I think in general, recently there's a lot of like these events, like all like startup events yeah. and off, like, entrepreneur events mm. in Kyoto and Osaka. So, I mean, yeah, we're like we're we're an expat community, but there's a lot of people who want to make this their home, and, and, and exactly, and yeah. the government, if anything, should be helping people start businesses and investing. Yeah, in yeah. So, it's a bit difficult right now. But the great thing is, though, I mean, it doesn't sound good, but if the government doesn't help you. It means you actually have to not rely on them. Right, right, right. And so those people that actually do survive and those people that actually make a profitable business, they're the they're, they're stronger all because of them. Right. But at the same time, obviously, you know, there are some people where they might not be able to get the backer. And if they did have the government have enough funding, that would be nice too. Yeah. But yeah, unfortunately, under this political climate, um, foreigners might not be accepted in Japan for quite a while. 
Yeah, which is ridiculous because I mean the population. They need the people. <laughs> yeah, they need the people. The population is going down. The, the labor force is shrinking. Especially skilled people. It's yeah. What did they say they wanted to do? They wanted to cap it so that Japan did not fall below 100 million uh, by 2060. And the only way to do that would be to um, basically have uh, uh, like 200,000 immigrants come in each year. Whoa! Which is not. Which they're not. No, they're not even close. Not, not even close. close. Yeah. So now they're trying to get um, women into the workforce. This is kind of an interesting. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, so basically, I guess the message is that, you know, Paul and, and Chris and Ben, they, they're not just, they're not just, they don't just represent three guys who want to start you know, a beer company. They represent like a new generation mm. of expats who want to you know, invest in Japan and start a business in Japan. Or same with you guys uh, with Pechakcha as well. Because you guys are providing a format which is not only in Japanese or not only in English. It's just like, it's kind of both. Yeah. And then you're telling Japanese people like, oh, these foreigners can kind of do this and vice versa. Yes, yes, for sure. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So don't be afraid of, you know, it's like also like, oh, there's these people that are trying to contribute something to Kyoto. And it might not be a business, but they might be doing something that they're very passionate about. Yes, and, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, our, our, our stance has always been, you know, like, don't talk to foreigners because they're foreigners, but talk to them because there's what people doing interesting things. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, if, if you've been to our events, you know, alcohol and beer is a very important part of the event. Amen. That's one of the conditions of Fresh Night, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, they, all over the world, you have to have it at a venue that serves beer or serves alcohol. I mean, alcohol is a social lubricator, right? <laughs> yeah. Especially in Japan. Especially, yes, Japan. especially in this country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So the whole idea is drinking and thinking. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Drinking does help you think. <laughs> It helps you think together, right? Yeah. That's why Eric's such a good thinker. That's why I'm such a good thinker as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been great. Um, you know, great having you in Kyoto. I, for one, have, have made it my personal mission to participate in your events and to try to very much. buy as much of your beer as possible. Uh, I hope in the future stock options or you know nah. <laughs> you can always talk about that in the future. Yes, sir. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm any uh, any uh, future events coming up in the next couple months? Um, we'll have a tap takeover uh, over at Tags, uh, oh, yeah. Pub Tags yeah. on Kiyomachi, uh, yeah. end of February, okay. um, at the Brew uh, Brew Dog in Roppongi. Uh, we're going to have a tap takeover event there as well in early March, mm. and then. Um, yeah, in April and May, we have a whole bunch of different festivals, but if you guys just come and check out our website, uh, it'll all be up there in time, so come Okay, yeah, well, we'll put the link up uh, with the podcast, Yeah. so uh, please check the link, and uh, there's an event listing page, I would imagine. Uh, uh, we will get to that, but yes, we do put up our events, though, in our Facebook page. <laughs> yeah, so definitely, we'll put the link to our yeah. Facebook page as well. Yes, so, mm. yes. Okay, Paul, thanks for your time. I know you're very busy uh, right before the bar is kind of tasting to open, but uh, thanks for joining us. All right, thank you guys. Okay, Cigar, so yeah. this concludes our all Canadian podcast. Uh, oh, we didn't even talk about hockey. Oh, no, what have we done? You don't really watch hockey. Right? Uh, actually, no, I was actually watching some yesterday. But have you been missing it? To Japan, I mean, how can you guys get your hockey fix? It's, well, you're very dedicated. I actually started, you know, I, I listen to a lot of like sports radio, like yeah. CSN radio. Yeah. 
Yeah, you, know, you can you can watch highlights online and stuff. Like okay. to be honest, like I, I, I can't watch a full I wouldn't be able to watch a full game. Yes. I couldn't sit there and spend like two hours watching a full game. Yeah, yeah. I like to follow what's going on, you know, okay. and stuff like that. So Paul, you're from Calgary? Calgary, yes. Right. Oh, Calgary. Do you support you still support the Flames. Uh, not to say that I turned my back on Yeah, what happened? <laughs> no, I just, uh, I moved to Japan and it's kind of hard to follow up with hockey. Yeah. 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 But your heart is still with the Flames, basically. Uh, so I was in Toronto. Oh, there you go. There you go. Oh, no, no why? So you're a, you're, you're a Leafs fan? No, 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 oh, no, no, no. So you're not really a fan of any team? <laughs> like I said, once I moved to Japan after high school, uh, university, I kind of... Oh, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And Sagar, you're from? Well, Montreal, so it's like a de facto. Are you a Habs fan now? Uh, yeah, well, okay, so here's the thing. Uh, I had. <laughs> here's the thing as well. So, see, everyone has a story. Uh, no, no, I, I, grew up, I grew up a Habs fan, and I particularly was a fan of Patrick Rodden. Okay. And so when he moved to Colorado, I kind yes. of followed him. Okay. And then he kind of retired, and I went back, I went back to Montreal. Yes. Uh, but I, I was an infatuation with Patrick Rodden. Okay. Oh, okay. But you followed, it, you followed the team because of one guy. Because of one guy, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, All right. Okay. Well, let's 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 wrap up. Okay. Thank you, and see you. Thank you, guys, to the next podcast. Thank you.